0: I want to go to there? Snipe! I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist it.
1: Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who've just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person.
2: Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, 30 hellas agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, still
0: hard to keep. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate kalzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going?
1: Uh, It's weird. Cabin fever is setting in. It's day three now of not seeing people anywhere. (laughs) It's just a little bit weird. I'm not going to lie.
0: It's what happens when you live in unincorporated name of very small town removed.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but, you know, at least the polar vortex seems to be over.
0: Yeah, see, so oh, knock on wood hardcore for that, because I do not need another uh, a week of, you know, complete disarray in my life. So let's not have that happen again. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of TV this week already. We're not, We're only pretty much talking about the new stuff with a couple exceptions, just because there's, there's so much TV already.
1: Yeah, January hates us. Clearly. And it, well, I mean, in a good way.
0: In a good way. In a good way, January hates us. We've got a lot of great uh, TV talk uh, coming up, a lot of great shows to talk about. We also should mention, though, we're joined by Mike Royce, co-executive producer of Enlisted and co-creator of Men of a Certain Age. When We've been looking for someone to come talk about Men of a Certain Age for a while, so why not, you know, the guy who co-created it? Right?
1: Yeah, it's. I'm hoping that this is hint, the start of other executive producers, hint, coming on the show to talk about their creations, hint, (laughs) hint universe because yeah this was great
0: yeah, it was a lot of fun and uh, we also got a chance to talk about with him about Enlisted at the time we recorded you hadn't had a chance to see any of it yet so it's pretty much just myself and and uh, Mike Rice but but yeah th- that's coming at the end of the show and I hope you guys enjoy it because we had a lot of fun talking with them uh, we also had fun talking with you guys this week we uh, heard from Sean the question of the week last week was what are you watching to take your mind off of the polar vortex and Sean was re-watching Happy Endings and Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 because screw ABC so that's a good reason
1: it's a lot of rhyming
0: it is it is uh, Carl wanted to know w- when the make Kate watch stuff polls were coming back and the answer to that is they are coming back when there's a little bit of down period so summer <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's just too much out there for, to give people options.
0: Yeah, I, I barely have enough time to catch up with just the stuff we know we want to watch. So as soon as things ease up a little bit or if we get to like a hiatus period where there aren't a bunch of new shows also happening, then those that will come back. I do intend to bring back the Make Kate Watch Stuff polls because I, I did enjoy that. Carl also enjoyed my inability to say spoilerly. No, again, I did it again, to say spoilery depth last week. So... I'm glad you enjoyed the bloopers. Spoilery
1: depth. Spoilery depth. Spoilery depth. Oh uh, well, easy. just
0: sh- just showing off there, aren't we? Oh. Yes. Uh, he also uh, wanted to know if we were looking forward to House of Cards Season 2. I recently saw some of Season 1 again. Just kind of jumped in. You know, saw somebody else was watching it, and I kind of sat down for a little bit. And, oh, man, did I under-remember how smug that show was in Season 1. I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch Season 2.
1: Yeah. On one so- On one hand, Molly Parker. On the other hand... Uh, it's i never think about that's that's my that's my final thing is i just never think about house of cards ever
0: well i think it's just because i watched it all in two days i sort of got into the the world of the show and didn't notice the that tonal element and so having distance and just kind of jumping in without being eased into all of that was yeah wow Anyways, uh, we'll see what happens when that comes back. Soon, actually. Uh, but but uh, we're not sure how we're going to cover it this year. Kyle, let us know that I was responsible for getting thicky tricks trick stuck back in his head. So you're welcome, Kyle. Um, <laughs> Mario is ready for them to tie up Adeline's story on Grimm. And uh, and as for the good wife, he wants to know if we think that Bogdanovich is really the father of the baby or is that a diversion. That's He's really, he's really, it's done.
1: Yeah, that's over. That's done. As evidenced by this week when we got serious Madeline back.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little later in the show. Bill wanted to know if we had already DVD shelved uh, Veronica Mars, and we did with Dan Heaton, who's a fabulous guy with us. You can find all of our DVD shelf back catalog at soundonsite.org slash DVD hyphen shelf hyphen library. And that's I, I, all of them are there.
1: I, I'm re- I really think that that DVD shelf will become obsolete at some
2: point. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I need to I need to keep updating it. It's a bit you know behind. The last last couple of months aren't on there yet, but it, it's a it's a good starter point. So if you're not sure if we've covered something, check out check out that link. I also talked with Cameron about Grim and. Uh, and and also Ken, and then there was a bunch of Golden Globes talk as well. But it was it was a fun week of, of conversation with you guys. I also had fun talking with Josh and Gabe from Masterpiece Cinema about Sleeping Beauty. I was a guest on their podcast this last week, so if you want to hear me talk about the utter lack of plot or character, but the utter beautiful ridiculousness of that animation, you can check out their feed. And what else is going on at Sounded site right now?
1: Well, in theory... We have a sister podcast starting up this week, uh, HBS True Detective, which we'll be talking about later.
0: Yes, that's going to be uh, co-hosted by Ricky D. and Depiance and Gupta, one of our fabulous contributors to the TV section. And so you guys should be able to find that up at Sound On Sight. And I'm going to be appearing on the, the first episode of that. So I look forward to hearing what they have to say. We're still going to talk about True Detective here, but in a more abbreviated format they'll be really diving into each episode Uh, so that'll be exciting to listen to uh but let's let's get into this week in television because there's a lot of it (laughs) and we have this wonderful segment at the end with mike royce so we, we should probably get started
1: yeah let's do that
2: Sometimes your friends let you down. Take your dreams and smash them on the ground. What do I do? Turn the page? Uh uh-uh. uh. Hell no, I'm gonna channel my rage and spit rhymes of horror, unspeakable things. From deep inside me, the darkness sings: Murder, murder, sex, sex, and murder, murder. Murder, murder, sex, sex, and murder, murder. Murder, sex, sex with murder. Murder with sex, dead people have sex, and they murder.
0: This week in comedy, we are going to talk a little bit about the Golden Globes, and then we have the Spoils of Babylon pilot, The Foundling. They also aired a second episode of The War Within. There's The Enlisted pilot, The Archer premiere, White Elephant, The Chosen pilot, and the two episode, Girls premiere, Females Only and Truth or Dare. Let's kick things off with the Golden Globes. You watched. I did,
1: and then immediately, I don't know, I feel like this happens with every award show that I ever watch. I start off, and you know, there's an opening monologue, and it's funny, and- witty and quick and all that. And the first few speeches were pretty, were pretty good, uh, particularly of course, Jacqueline Bissett. But after that, it was diminishing returns a lot and just a whole lot of diminishing returns. And it was so long. I mean, I know it's not as long as like the mid nineties Oscars heyday of when that was when that, you know, was just a bacchanalian orgy of self-indulgence for seven hours, but it was still pretty bad.
0: The fun thing about the Golden Globes for me uh, was getting to each of these different categories and being like, "Oh yeah, that's who they nominated," because there are several where it was just ridiculous. And when when John Voight won for Best Supporting Actor in Television, basically, yeah. that was hilarious.
1: Well, the thing that I always like about watching the Golden Globes is that everybody knows they're a joke, including the people who are in the room. I guess everybody except for that guy who runs the Hollywood Foreign Press who does a speech every year and evening, he's like, nobody cares about my speech and keeps it short, which was nice. But everybody knows that the Golden Globes hold no prestige whatsoever. So people just use it as an excuse to get really, really trashed and, you know, go on TV with their friends. And sometimes that can lend some fun. Like, obviously, Emma Thompson.
0: Yeah, she was doing it right. (laughs) She was
1: doing it right. And if everyone followed her example, it would have been an entertaining three hours. But uh, and also really, really underusing Polar and Faye.
0: Yeah, even more than last year.
1: Yeah, that's not the right way to go, guys. Come on.
0: Though I was glad to see Amy Amy Polar finally win something. It was yes. surprising that I was like, wait a second. I think this is the first thing she's won, and she's been really good for a long time.
1: Yeah, and it only took Andy Sandberg one try <laughs> for like eight episodes.
0: Yup, yup, but so go the Golden Globes. Any other thoughts? Do you, uh, do you expect Tina and Amy to come back next year? Will you watch if they come back next year?
1: Uh, every time I watch an award show, I end up regretting it. I think next year I'm going to have to remind myself that I said that so that I don't do it again.
0: Yeah, we'll see uh, whether they bring the host back. It really was the Tina and Amy show for me. And so if they are not hosting, I'm way less likely to watch. But well, yeah, I imagine they'll have an announcement in the next couple months of who's going to host next year. Let's move on to the Spoils of Babylon pilot. This is a comedy miniseries or a parody miniseries that's airing on IFC. Uh, and there were two episodes. I only watched the first. How many did you watch?
1: I watched the first two. I mean, as you might expect by the fact that this is a Funny or Die venture, there's definitely the feeling of this is a five-minute sketch that's been blown out to, let's see, like five hours long or whatever it is, which, of course, the whole premise is that it's been, it, it has been it itself been edited down from t- from a 22-hour 1978 miniseries or whatever whenever it's supposed to be from. Um, there are aspects of it that I found really amusing. I, I love the theme song that appears in the pilot. that's that was actually impressive. because it, it you know, it, it actually felt period appropriate and sounded like it wasn't just tossed off. So well done for that. the uh, The whole aesthetic joke of it, where you know you, you'll you'll have s- switching from live action to what's ob- very obviously models and things like that, I don't really know where like what that's supposed to be parodying exactly. There are elements of the visual parody that just don't seem to come from anywhere. Uh, On the other hand, there were some really funny visuals here and there, like Toby Maguire, who, by the way, is the star of this series. Um, Just that image of him holding a pickaxe, looking wistful, holding a book that says philosophy on it. Um, Things like that 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 I will treasure for a long time, but bits like that were kind of few and far between.
0: I did appreciate the commitment of Toby Maguire and, in this first episode, uh, Tim Robbins and... Also, Kristen Wig. And Kristen Wig. But I almost chuckled once in the first episode, so I was like, this is, other people may enjoy this, it's very specific comedy, I am not laughing at all, so I'm just going to stop after one.
1: Also, Will Ferrell as late period Orson Welles, nowhere near as funny as actual late period Orson Welles.
0: Nowhere near as funny. Or, you know... The, the brain as late period Orson Welles. This one just kept going and uh, is one of those guys to see what you're doing and more is not helping for me. So I, I get the sense that if you watch this pilot or this premiere in the the second episode, and if if you enjoy them, you'll probably like the whole thing.
1: Yeah. Also, in in the second episode and possibly after that, there's an anthropomorphized mannequin voiced by Carrie Mulligan, which is... <laughs> definitely endearingly strange so i don't know I, I didn't hate it but it's definitely an acquired taste for a very specific subset of people
0: I, I do think my favorite part of the entire thing was tim robbins random the british accent coming out for his character
1: yes yeah that was a nice touch and and it was especially funny given helix this week and the bad accent work <laughs>
0: let's move on to enlisted which aired its pilot i talked about my thoughts on the first four episodes last week and i'm going to talk with the one of the executive producers mike royce later in the podcast so i'm just pretty much going to stay out of this what did you think of the enlisted pilot
1: i liked it there are bits of it where it seems very self-conscious about the fact that it is a pilot there are bits of dialogue that are like we are establishing the premise from here on out and the music cues seem to go with that so there's Even though it's not the greatest episode, it almost seems to to tell you, yes, we know. We have to get this out of the way so we can get to the good stuff later. So I kind of appreciated that self-knowledge. The cast is good. I didn't think I would ever like Chris Lowell in anything, so this is like a hugely redemptive moment for him. Good for him. I I, I agree with you that I think he's the comic highlight of the three main characters so far. I I really don't care about the love interest thing that's going on. So hopefully they find a way to make that work. But yeah, I think as far as comedy pilots go, it's hard to think of a better one from the last six months or so other than maybe Brooklyn Nine-Nine.
0: Yeah. And they do downplay the romantic interest storyline after The, the, there's some more of that in the second episode, but For the most part, that does get downplayed for a while. And uh, for those who don't know, Chris Lowell was Piz on Veronica Mars.
1: Yeah, and you would think that would just make for like instant hatred when he shows up on screen, but that didn't turn out to be the case, so well done.
0: And uh, we'll talk more about uh, Enlisted later in the podcast. We'll probably talk about it for the next few weeks. Let's move on, though, to the Archer premiere White Elephant. Which,
1: if you don't know, is not only... It's... It's strange that the two most daring series makeovers of the last few years belong to the good wife and now Archer. I mean, who would have guessed? But well done. So at the end of the by the end of this episode, none of the characters are spies anymore. They're drug dealers. <laughs> Which yep. all right. Uh, I I mean, just to get this out of the way, I did not appreciate the flash forward element of the dream sequence, which tells us exactly what's going to happen throughout many of the episodes to come. I think that was a terrible idea Uh, as much as, you know, the actual visual afterwards of, of Archer being like, yes, Archer vice was like, was really effective. Uh, I didn't need to be spoiled on all that stuff. So that's a little bit disheartening, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear early on in the episode when Brett finally gets fatally shot that, this Archer's plan for keeps here.
0: Yeah. And it was a lot. I mean, I laughed a bunch watching this and, uh, I, I look forward to your thoughts on the Archer vice (laughs) that starts up next week. But yeah, I I think Archer's back in, in fine form after a slightly weaker season four. Um, would you agree with that?
1: I mean, I'll have to see where they go from here, but I do know that. Yes. I also laughed a lot. And, I think that – I mean, first of all, there's some really promising stuff in those flash-forwards. I mean, the idea of Cheryl's country career uh, is, is an interesting one, and I actually did like the song that we got over the course of the montage, so hopefully the there'll be a, – a, a, I feel like every animated series now is obliged to have songs which uh, is somewhat troublesome, but I think they actually work here. Or or at least they worked in this flash forward, so hopefully it'll feel like someone put in an effort rather than just it being a tossed-off element like it sometimes is on Bob's Burgers. Anyway, um, so yeah, I I mean, hats off to Adam Reed and co. for doing this because I think they needed some something. I just didn't know. I don't know if it needed to be this drastic, but more power to them.
0: Now, did you watch The Chosen premiere or The Chosen pilot?
1: I did, um, I didn't really like it. I think the, honestly, the main issue for me is, is, uh, and this is a nice segue is the music itself. I mean, you're talking about a series about a rapper, uh, you know, staging a comeback. He's got a, there, there's a rival rapper. And I think to, for that to work, you really need to put in the effort to make sure that the rap is good. And, uh, It's especially glaring because right now in hip-hop, you do have gay rappers starting to, especially over the last few years, starting to come out of the woodwork and be open about it and produce some really interesting stuff. People like uh, Zebra Cats or Leaf, like really cutting-edge dudes, and this stuff sounds like a poor imitation of early 90s Boom Bap or something, and it's it's not a good look for the show. So I guess it would have been nice if they'd hired someone for the lead actor who actually was a rapper or a good one. Uh, instead of is it Bobby Moynihan yes yeah so I think that's sort of that's kind of a death knell for a series like that if this if you ask me which is too bad because there are aspects of the premise that are definitely interesting
0: well see that's the I guess that's the difference I don't know that I think that chosen is necessarily supposed to be good so you you feel like chosen supposed to actually be a good rapper not just somebody with delusions of grandeur
1: I think that at the end of the episode, when he does the student center show and people are really into it and cheering, I think that yeah, we're supposed to think that, or at least we're supposed to think that people in the show think that it's good, mm-hmm. even okay. if they're just you know, stone students or whatever. Or at least some, like someone over the course of the entire episode, I didn't hear anything that was good, mm-hmm. including like you know just incidental music or stuff that's happening in the background, stuff he's supposed to be inspired by or whatever. So yeah, that's that's kind of. That's a deal breaker for me.
0: Fair enough. Let's move on to the premiere of Girls, Females Only, and Truth or Dare. There's been a lot of positive buzz on the season of Girls. I know that those who got screeners got the first, I want to say like five, maybe six episodes. And uh, there's been a lot of Girls is Back kind of talk. Now, I liked the previous season a lot more than you did. But what did you think of this premiere? And what does that project for you for this season?
1: I mean, personally, I like Girls best when it's in... All out satirical sitcom mode, rather than, I, I guess, whenever it tries to be formally daring, it's really kind of a mixed bag. And here, I think it, it's leaning on the funny in a big way, and it's a good look for them. I mean, the the opening se- sequence alone with Amy Schumer is—I mean, I had to—I had to admit, I was I was slightly slightly annoyed at them throwing Natalia under the bus by just making her kind of insane, but. It was so funny that I didn't care, and they kept that up for the entire two episode run. I mean, it, did, it does feel like it just a one long episode because of the way it's structured, but uh, yeah, almost every character got something interesting to do, and I was particularly impressed at the way they were able to make me invested in what in what was happening to Jessa while she was busy being the most horrible bitch anyone on the show has ever been. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was very glad to have Jessup back. As for Natalia, I didn't feel like they threw her under the bus. I thought she was fine. I thought I I watching that opening scene, I really felt like Adam came off as a total douchebag. So, uh that's interesting. And uh, she was well, a little they, little, you know, stressed out and a little obviously upset.
1: They have her going along with the with the fake baby thing for a for a solid minute, which was a little bit nuts. Come on.
0: Eh, I was okay. because she, you know, she course corrected I was okay with that but but let's talk, let's talk about Jessa um, and uh, yeah I'm so glad that she's back because I know the actress wasn't necessarily uh, on board for, for more of the show because she's not an actress and uh, so I'm really glad that she seems to be back for at least part of this season
1: yeah well and more importantly what they're giving her to do is interesting and I was not anticipating having them fold in Tasty from Orange is the New Black and certainly not in that capacity so well played. I also really liked her scenes with with Nail.
0: Yeah, Richard E. Grant. Oh my god. Yeah, that yes. was wonderful. I,
1: I assume we're probably not going to see him again, but just the way his character got that neat little arc in very little screen time I thought was was just really beautiful writing. Um, I, I really appreciated the way Adam is now, sort. well, I guess for a long time, has been a, sort of the voice of reason while being himself a little bit unstable and by a little bit I mean highly and I just keep waiting for that moment when he just snaps and it seems like it's going to come at any time and uh it's going to be good when it happens
0: yeah definitely he's so much fun in this episode. when he just like beats the car radio to get that stupid song to stop it was delightful um but yeah it's fun watching him be terror and hate her friends and then be so perfect for you know, that a moment with them to to say exactly what they need to hear and know what they need to hear and be a really good friend and a support network for them, even sort of against his will.
1: Yeah. And yeah, to know that he has those good impulses and he sort of has to resist just being a jackass all the time. I think the biggest challenge for them this season is going to be finding something interesting for Marnie to do. She's, mm-hmm. she's barely in these episodes. And they just, I, I did like the way that they just had Charlie leave mid-season and just that's it i was i was I, I know some people took issue with that but i was perfectly happy with that because i don't care about charlie so i was happy to have that over with but yeah the trick for her is going to be finding something to do that isn't just her being mortifying although i did like her scenes with rita wilson
0: yeah those were a lot of fun and uh Man, they're going for they're like gunning for the good wife with their guest cast here, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and they're never going to get there, but it's admirable they're trying. Yeah,
0: yeah. absolutely. In- including
1: pilfering some of the good wife's guests.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, any other thoughts on Girls or if not what wins your week in comedy?
1: I'll I'll definitely give it to Girls and I think that if if they carry on like this with with these first two episodes, especially that that the the quality and level and consistency of humor I'll be very surprised if there's a backlash again at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, I thought, I thought Girls was hilarious, and it definitely wins the, the week in comedy for me. So I look forward to seeing you know how long they can maintain and and what, uh, what comes next. It should be a lot of fun. Let's uh, take a break now and come back with our week in genre. Mm-hmm. Genre: We have only a few shows. We have Grim Eyes of the Beholder. We have the Helix Pilot. And then we have American Horror Story Coven, The Magical Delights of Stevie Nicks. I just wanted to mention Grim because they had an awesome fight scene. And uh, my full review is up at soundonsite.org. If you want to hear my full thoughts on the episode, check that out there. But I had to mention this episode because they gave Juliet a badass fight scene, and it was fantastic. Grimm always has really uh, interesting and complex and uh, developed female characters. But I don't think I've cheered as hard as I did when she jumped on her friend's abusive husband's back, started clawing at his eyes, pulling his hair, and then later hit him over the head with a frying pan. And And then, then they started kicking him because he was down you keep kicking him, and they keep kicking him until until nick gets his gun and is able to, to you know cuff him and everything because that's what you do when a psycho abuser shows up at your house and starts hitting people you 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 go all out it was wonderful it was delightful thank you grim so much for that wonderful scene i also enjoyed the episode but that was really the stand-up for me is, is that enough to get you to check out an episode ah well it's so stacked right now though is it's the thing. true it's true i can't argue i really can't argue with that well we'll see we'll see what they do if they give uh it's it's been great watching julia get more to do this season but it's a full week in tv so i'm not going to go any further on Grimm. we'll save the time for the shows we both seen, such as helix which had uh, a two-hour or extended pilot as well as it aired a second episode vector this week i just watched the pilot what did you watch
1: I also just watched the pilot, and uh, I'm not sure about this one.
0: <laughs> the, <laughs> Sorry, that's not going unremarked uh, upon. What was that, and have you been possessed by black goo? Uh,
1: it's entirely possible. I mean, there are things to like about it. It looks good for the most part. It's got a lot of great practical effects. It's got a good sense of mood. There are some little bits of scary of subversive editing and humor here and there that kind of point at Battlestar a little bit which I enjoyed on the other hand there's the world's most boring love triangle and some really terrible character design and many many ostensibly smart people and scientists and doctors behaving like teenagers in horror films so yeah it's looking dodgy
0: yeah, there's a lot of interesting things about this pilot, as far as I'm concerned. Or things that they do well, and the big one that you touched on is the practical effects. There's there's some uh, iffy CGI uh, around, you know, happening throughout the the extended pilot, but the practical effects are really good. And the, the the oozing skeleton and just some of the makeup, and there there's some you know some interesting good sort of horror visuals happening. But the characters, unfortunately, are nowhere near interesting enough for me to even watch the second episode in this very full week of TV. Maybe when I have some more time, if, if things thin out a little bit, who knows that they will throughout the entire year. But if they do, I might check in with some more of Helix. But the the characters didn't grab me in the way they needed to in this pilot to, to make me have to cut out time to fit in the second episode.
1: Yeah, and I'm sorry, but the lampshading on the, on, on the attractive... Uh, sidekick character didn't make her character any more plausible
0: (laughs) no it really didn't uh and and, you know there's there there are other issues i've really had trouble with blonde doctor lady uh, who i didn't learn the name of Uh, just the the writing for that character and then the she randomly has a southern accent in like a scene and a half and (laughs) i don't know i noticed that too i don't know if that was like a character choice that they decided to backpedal on and they like they to try to dub it in or something. I don't know what happened with that. They did have, as you pointed out when we were talking beforehand, uh, they did have a really entertaining use of the, do you know the way to San Jose? But uh, there's, like you said, there's too many smart people acting stupid for me to really engage with this group of characters.
1: Yeah, I would also say that the first couple of times that they do the incongruously pleasant music to unpleasant visuals thing, it works. And then the third time they do it with the last shot of the you know what happens in the shower it just kind of struck me it just rubbed me wrong it was just it went the other way
0: around and just was too
1: mean-spirited was that just me
0: well i i i think it was really effective in its first use when it ha- popped up the second time because it was theoretically diegetic music in the first scene to have it then come back and be diegetic music again when a different person like is this the only song these people listen to so that that's No wonder
1: they're all going insane.
0: <laughs> that 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 was the element that, that really pulled me out of it. If it had been an a, like a non diegetic scoring throughout, maybe it would have been less noticeable for me. But uh but no, it, it was definitely the law of diminishing returns over the course of the episode as far as I was concerned. Anything else on Helix? Um
1: for a guy who helped to create Battlestar and clearly valued good music, the scoring on the show is really bad. <laughs>
0: I didn't notice it. I was too busy noticing really creepy throat visual effects and then really dodgy monkey visual effects. Yeah,
1: the throat visuals were cool, but yeah, there were lots of keyboard swells during emotional moments that I really did not need.
0: Well, we'll see. You know, if we make time to to check out more of Helix and what other people are saying about halfway through the season. But for now, let's move on to American Horror Story: Coven and the Magical Delights of Stevie Nicks. Did Stevie Nicks' appearance in this work for you, or was it a bit too odd? I thought it was
1: great. Did other people not like that?
0: <laughs> I, yeah, you know, it was it was fine, except that she was in it too long. If she was in like a scene or two. Maybe that would have been better. I, it was a very there's a lot of times, but on Stevie Nicks, and you know I I totally get it if you have Stevie Nicks use her because she's great, um, but yeah the it was the whole show just kind of stopped and it wasn't like the episode had a particularly contemplative tone. It's not like they had sort of a let's get inside our character's headspace and you know change up the pace or of the show a little bit. It, not not that at all. So it felt sort of disjointed to me.
1: I mean, the whole freaking show's disjointed, but I like the fact that they they bring in Stevie Nicks and they not they've already hinted at her being a part of this universe, and then they totally commit to that. Mm-hmm. Like she she might she might even be in more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> She's all over this episode. The whole last two minutes is just her playing a song, and uh, I I like that they they've made an effort to fold her into the mythology. So why not make an effort to have her on screen for a while? So that I thought was actually kind of cool. I like the way the music was folded in. It was was it overkill probably, but this is American horror story, so I expect overkill. I actually thought uh, that that whole sequence of Nan leaving the show, if that's actually what's happening, was really haunting surprisingly, <laughs> and I thought it paired nicely with with the song at the end. Lance Reddick was inspired casting.
0: I loved I didn't realize who it was in the first first time he popped up, and the second I was like, "Wait, oh my god, it's Lance Reddick." And this is amazing.
1: Yeah. He's he's building up a nice little repertoire of weird guest bits. And I also really like Michael Christopher um, as the, I guess, the big bad, even though he doesn't really get to do more than just ridiculously hem it up. But there was a scene, I wanted to mention this before, there's a scene in a few episodes ago where where the younger Michael Christopher shows up. except so he's played by someone who isn't Michael Christopher, but he's got Michael Christopher's voice. <laughs> it was like the creepiest thing ever, but anyway... Um, yeah, I'm still really enjoying American Horror Story, even as I acknowledge that it's, I'm pretty sure there's no way they're going to resolve it that's going to be even remotely satisfying at this point.
0: Yeah, it, the the start of the season felt much more tight and uh, focused, and now it's, I feel like the show's at hot mess stage. Enjoyable, but yeah. it's, yeah, I, I don't see how there's a, possibly a way that this can come back together in an interesting or or narratively pleasing kind of way. I also want to know why we didn't just get a shot of Kathy Bates head in a box in in the completely abandoned building going, hello?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would have been great.
0: Anyways, we'll see if they pick that back up. What wins your week in genre?
1: I'll give it to Stevie
0: Nicks. I'm going to give it to... Grim, just for that badass fight scene. I probably am over hyping that for everyone who hasn't seen it, by the way. It just was really satisfying. So I enjoyed American Horror Story. He looks was interesting, but i will going to give it to Grim. Now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. Monday morning runs, a Sunday night screaming. Slow me down before the new year dies. Well, it won't take much to kill. Her. Love and smile, dearie mother. You
2: pay for everything.
0: This week in drama, we have the justified premiere A Murder of Crows. Parenthood stay a little longer, the good wife we the juries, and the pilot to true detective, the long, bright, dark. Let's kick things off with Justified. Justified <laughs> Oh yes. <laughs> Why, well, we talked a little bit about this last week in our midseason. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. So I'm moving on. Uh, we talked a little bit about Justified in our midseason preview. I like these first two episodes a lot more than you did. We're only going to talk about the first episode this week. Don't worry. No need for spoiler phobia, uh, unless you haven't seen it yet, in which case we are going to spoil this premiere. Why are you more hesitant on, on this premiere than I, than I am?
1: Okay, just to be clear, I I really enjoy both episodes. I continue to think Justified rules. I'm just not sure because I feel like, you know, I okay, let me rephrase this whole thing. I rewatched the first 2 seasons and the first 5 episodes of season 3 with my folks over the last couple of weeks, and first of all, I came to the conclusion that season 2 is the worst season of Justified. Come at me, bros. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's true. Try rewatching it and then watching the other seasons. You'll realize I'm right. Anyway, but I feel like, except for some slight hiccups here and there, the show's just kind of gotten better and better, which is improbable for a show like this. And I didn't get the vibe from these episodes that it's, that it's going to be onward and upward this season. I feel like the best they're going to be able to do is maybe match well, like a, like a, a medium-level season. But with these characters, I find it hard to imagine they're going to hit some of the heights they've hit before, unless, of course, we're going to find out that that the Crows are not as central as we think they are. So, you know, I guess it remains to be seen, but it kind of seems like they're going to be incredibly central considering the marketing of the of the season, at the very least.
0: See, but then, okay, that, that explains some of the, our difference in approach because I'm looking at this premiere thinking it's a bunch of really interesting, colorful characters. I enjoyed all the characters they brought in, but I am under no illusion that... That the Crows are going to be the central, Bennett, you know, Mags Bennett-style big bad of the season. And uh, I think if you add all that baggage onto this premiere, of course you're going to have a different take on it. Just looking at it as only these two episodes, without thinking about the marketing, without thinking about this other stuff, does that affect your take on it?
1: Yeah, you're kind of asking me to cut out chunks of my brain and then re-review the show, so I'm not sure I can do that. Touché. But... I don't know. Just even the way these episodes are structured kind of makes it seem like they're going to be a big deal throughout the entire season. Like I don't know. I think they're going to take pains to differentiate them from spe- from specifically the Bennets, and they're going to have to because the way that the family is structured mm-hmm. is actually quite reminiscent of the Bennets, and I'm sure they're very cognizant of that. So I'll be I'm interested to see how they get out of that dilemma because they must know that it's a thing. What I do like about this first episode and the the first two in general is that it feels like they're taking on more than ever. There's just so much going on in so many different parts of the show. And Justified often has a lot going on. But even for them, this is a lot of plotting. And generally speaking, this is a show that handles a lot of plotting very well and finds ways to tie things in and, like, have certain things influence certain other things that you would never think of. And that's one of the biggest joys of the show. I will say though, that this first episode in particular was a little short on laughs, at least for me.
0: I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I, I, I definitely was laughing my butt off when we got uh, our Canadian mobsters, which I loved when, when they're talking about, they're going to meet with the Canadian mob. I don't know why I didn't think they'll go to the comedy well again and bring in some underappreciated you know, comedians to, to, to be these Canadian mobsters. But when it's Will Sasso and Dave Foley, I just, I was so happy. I just had a stupid, silly grin on my face. I I would love, I'm so happy that they are now part of this universe, which not even aside from this scene, which I really enjoyed, they can now come back at any time. Yeah, can, can I be honest with you? Like, they were fine,
1: but I found the whole scene a little bit too cute. Nope. First of all, the fact the fact that, oh yeah, okay, we know that they're both Canadians, haha. and then also, did we really need a Tim Hortons reference in the first time they appear? Really, Justified Writers Room? You could do a little bit more subtlety there.
0: Yeah, but I think it was a nice uh, comment from them, from the Canadians, on what the non-Canadians know about them. You know, they're, it's, you know, they're looking at Boyd and, and Wynn, and these are two guys that, if they think of Canada, which they probably never do. They pro- One of the first things they probably go to, as most Americans probably go to, is Tim Hortons. So I, yeah, I thought it worked. Yeah,
1: I don't think the right... The, I, I think you've thought about this more than they have.
0: Well, We'll see. We'll see if they pop back up again this season. Let's talk about another character who is only very briefly in this episode, and that's Winona.
1: And I'm assuming is only going to be very briefly in this season uh, due to her... <sighs> Involvement in show that shall not be named. It was. It, it's been interesting to rewatch older seasons and see how they've treated their female characters, particularly Winona. And I. It's kind of too bad that she's not going to be a huge part of the show anymore because they really did a lot of work fixing that character.
0: Yeah, they there was some struggle with her, especially in season two. But but I think she was great in, in season three and definitely in season four. H- having a whole other generation of daddy issues starting already with Raylan's kid, uh, I think is very interesting. The fact that that is probably somewhat happening just because they can't have Natalie Z on the show, it, it, you know, it's an interesting way of working around that, that, that problem, but he goes to Florida and he doesn't stop by. And that tells you so much about his character. I love that we're still getting father, son or, or, you know, parental issues with that character, even though obviously Arlo's gone.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's always going to be one of their most effective notes. Uh, and since we mentioned comedians making an appearance, I did like David Kotchner uh, in a very surprised... You know, playing it low-key, but I think commenting on the situation in a way that made sense. And uh, since I mentioned the Crows, like, I I didn't... Even though I'm not blown away by the prospect of having them be take a, a super central role for the whole season, which we'll find out whether or not that's happening, uh, I did like both... Michael Rappaport and Alicia Witt. I think they're both good. I don't get the complaints about Michael Rappaport. I think that's just people bringing their own baggage to that, uh, as we already mentioned. But, you know, I I think mostly they just get a huge boost out of his physical presence.
0: Yeah, I think he does a good job. I really enjoyed him in this, and I'm 100% with you. I do not get why people have this inability to see him in a new context. Uh, I didn't get anything about New York from this character or this performance. So we'll see if that changes as we watch more episodes, because he's clearly going to be around for a while, even if we, we have different predictions for how central he'll be. Uh, I also, I always l- enjoy Alicia Witt. So I, I enjoyed seeing her pop up. And I do think having a sister in the mix is substantial for differentiating the Crows from the Bennetts. I was having very much a, a uh, Bennett brothers, you know, flashback with the Crows. So, you know, putting Dewey in the dicky roll is, you know, interesting. And I think I'm just most excited about the Crows having, you know, more to do this season because that means we're going to get more Dewey. I thought we were done with Dewey Crow. Oh, very you're never likely. done with
1: Dewey Crow. And, and and there's there's absolutely no... I will be shocked if they ever get rid of Dewey Crow. Like if he <laughs> if he doesn't survive this season, I will be very surprised.
0: Any thoughts on Ava or Boyd?
1: Uh nope, except that I really hope they get up to some women's prison shenanigans.
0: I seriously, tag her in Orange is the new black. I wanna see I wanna see all those characters hanging out. Well, that uh, is probably too much time spent on Justify, given our how many shows we have to talk about here. Let's, let's touch briefly on Parenthood, stay a little longer. Obviously, your review of Justify is up at Sound on Sight. My review of Parenthood is up on, on Sound on Sight. And I would have just skipped the this for our weekend TV in general, except I know you have strong feelings about certain elements of this episode.
1: Uh, parenthood. I never thought I'd lump Parenthood in with the hot mess category, but I kind of feel like it's gotten there lately with the expanded episode order and them just sort of rehashing the same plot points over and over. But let's talk about Joel and Julia, because I feel like more people are going to agree with me than you on this one for a change. Um, I'm not interested in their marital problems anymore, if I ever was. I'm less interested now than ever before. Uh, Like you said, the whole issue with Joel and us not getting his perspective, I think, has been a huge impediment. The one scene we get with him at work this week, I don't think is nearly enough. To explain where he's coming from, I know you feel differently. And um, it just makes both characters seem like giant idiots.
0: I don't think it's enough, but I think it's a really good start. And I think that scene with him and Pete needed to happen so much earlier in the season it's not even funny. Something obviously it obviously wouldn't be exactly the same because he's in a different headspace now than he was earlier, but we needed to get some sense that he was in that precarious and stressful of a situation at his work. Other than just, you know, aside from just it's long hours, that's clearly not just a case of long hours. And, uh, and, and if we had seen that back, you know, episode five, even episode four, that would have made a really significant change to how we were viewing that that entire dynamic. We do need to see more of that, I, I think, depending on how long they're going to stretch it out. But even just knowing that they're not going the love triangle route with with Joel and Pete was a weight off that storyline, as far as I was concerned. So there was a... Yeah, there. there I, I thought it actually was a really positive movement for that arc. And um, we'll see what, what comes from it next. I like that it's about miscommunication and assumptions in the relationship as opposed to infidelity because that really does seem like that's what's at the core
1: yeah on the other hand when you're talking about a marriage with children involved and an issue this small becomes i don't think we can fix this i just want to hit my television like really dude
0: see that's the thing i think that the show doesn't agree with joel i i think that he's not supposed to be accurate like like that's that's just him stressed out and not saying what he actually thinks
1: to be clear i don't i don't think you're wrong i don't think you i don't think the show disagrees with you on on that score (laughs) i just don't find it interesting or compelling at all yeah i I just want to skip to when this is all resolved which it will be mm -hmm. so yeah and also the the whole comedy crosby subplot was flimsier than usual and it's been pretty damn flimsy.
0: I I was, I was enjoyed it, and uh, it worked for me. And that Oliver character's been mostly aggravating this season, as far as I'm concerned. So I enjoyed putting him in the context of Crosby and Jasmine and uh, seeing what happens there. And any time we get a little more time with Jasmine and Jabbar, I think it's a good thing. Um, any thoughts on Max, or shall we move on?
1: Uh, the Max plotline seemed like a rehash to me. I don't know, it seemed like we've seen this beat before, and it makes sense that it would come up again, but you know, again, not interesting to me.
0: Okay, again, it was more... So it sounds like the entire most of the elements of the episode were more successful for me than they were for you. Next week is supposed to be a Hank heavy uh, episode, so we'll probably enjoy it, I would imagine.
1: That will depend on Lauren
0: Graham. (laughs) Let's move on to The Good Wife, We the Juries, and we got our legal quirk episode of the season.
1: Yeah, this was not one of their better legal quirk episodes, Mm -hmm. I don't think... First of all, the actual facts of the case were impossible for me to make sense of, and maybe that was deliberate, but a little bit of, like, I don't know, for me, like, being able to at least have a vague sense of what the case is about and how this is supposed to be shaking out really helps my engagement level, and to me, this was just double-de-gook, which I know was deliberate for the most part, but it was kind of a one-note episode for that reason, because there was so much time spent in the courtroom and so much of it was just, oh, hey, here's 30 people on screen talking over each other. And isn't this hilarious?
0: Yeah, I, I've been noticing that now every time there there's a, a primary and secondary on a case everything, there's two lawyers. They both spend all their time objecting. And that has really gotten old for me. Yes, I understand that it's Will and Diane on one side and Alicia and Carrie on the other side. And so we like all of those four actors. But there should be one person from each side objecting when the two co-defense start talking over each other, and then the other two co-defense start talking over each other. It's like no, that's that's too many.
1: Plus, the state's attorney people this week was just overkill.
0: Though I enjoyed their enjoyment of the the, the disarray, shall we say, at the defense.
1: Yeah, but the I feel like a coming a week after we had Matthew Lillard, you know, having his meta chuckles about the legal wranglings, we probably could have had a less silly court episode this week.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably. I enjoyed Victor Garber as the judge. The Kalinda and Carrie stuff I I don't care about. Even, as much as I enjoy those two characters, they need to give them each something different to do.
1: Yeah, I feel like even they should be tired of that by now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they, should just, they should just look at
1: each other and be like, yeah, we've been through this.
0: Surprisingly effective for me, though, was Marilyn, because as, as we talked about last week, she seemed like, okay, you guys have taken her to such an extreme of pregnancy brain and only defined by the fact that she has a baby growing in her, that she can't be taken seriously. But I took her seriously this week, and it was nice to see Melissa George actually get something to do.
1: Yeah, I'm still not entirely sure what that accent is up to, but I, I just why couldn't they just let her use her voice anyway? Uh, but um, yeah, she's all right. She's kind of she, it's weird how she, her character oscillates from being like wacky pregnant lady. And then tiresome stick in the mud for everyone, which I mean, obviously she was a little bit more serious than that this week, but it just feels like they're whatever she she's whatever they need her to be from week to week with no actual contiguousness.
0: Oh, see, I've seen a through line with that character from being so supportive and in the camp of the campaign and of, of Peter specifically to now she's pretty sure they're corrupt and she's pissed off. About it, and uh and you know, I I've enjoyed that, you know that that transition. And there's more. She she knows stuff that she can use, um, should she have to down the line. And so, sort of like the NSA, which is still looming over a lot of this season. Yeah, I I do think that that may be become the case, seeing as they are taking her so much for granted as not a threat and not someone they need to be concerned about. I I feel like that might be something that comes back towards the end of the season.
1: Maybe we'll see. Have we seen Victor Garber before, or is that new?
0: You know what? I want to say we we have, but I could be wrong. I I'm not sure. Should we I feel like we do we need to talk about Springsteen.
1: Uh, yeah. Okay. So they had a deal where they premiered a bu- uh, premiered a bunch of songs from the new. Bruce Springsteen record, which is actually a collection of outtakes that they re-recorded with, I guess, Rick Rubin or some other hack, and uh, first of all, it was hilarious because they were no longer premiering because Amazon actually leaked the record by accident like a month ago, so that was hilarious to me, but yeah, can we not do that again? Because I don't need to hear terrible new Springsteen.
0: I thought a couple of the songs worked, but there were three of them, and it just... And I actually was enjoying the the tonal the musical shift from what they have been doing most of the season, which is a very very much a orchestral or string based score and very baroque scoring as well and and I think they use they use music very well on the show in general, and so shifting back towards you know popular music, I think was an interesting move for the episode. But they could have chosen more interesting songs in general. And and I think just knowing about this this deal that they have, it just feels kind of squicky for me. I want to think there's more, you know, musical integrity to the show than, sure, we like Springsteen, let's sell his album for him. Um, so, yes, I know that happens all the time, and selling out is a ridiculous notion, and I, I think that all of that is, as a musician, I you know, I sold out when I was in, fifth grade. That's the first time I did a gig I didn't want to do. I thought the music was terrible, but I was getting paid. So, you know, every musician has sold out. Every show has sold out. So, you know, that's how things happen. But uh, I was still somewhat disappointed by the use of the music, I guess, and what they chose to do.
1: Well, if 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 you wanted them to use more interesting Springsteen songs, they would have had to have not used the new record. Oh snap. Anyway, let's move on.
0: <laughs> Next up is our final show for our weekend drama and our final show for our weekend TV and that's the pilot for True Detective, The Long Bright Dark. There's been a lot of buzz about this show. What did you think of this pilot? Did it live up to the buzz? And are you excited for what's to come?
1: Uh, hmm. It's obviously, uh, I, I like the way you put it. It's obviously a good show. Like there's, you know, it's very well acted. It's, you know, gorgeous. It's beautifully directed. It's, uh, it's obviously very meticulous in its construction. And I love the idea of of a short run series where you get the talent you want. And then you scrap the whole thing and start over next year with a new cast and a new location. That's brilliant, and we're going to be seeing a lot more stuff like that over the next few years, I believe, and I think that's a good thing. But um, I'm not wild about the show. Like, I, it's it didn't it didn't make me excited to watch it. I was excited to watch, it, and then while I was watching it, I kept thinking this is good, but it's not revelatory or anything. And I think to me, the major stumbling block isn't the acting, but surprise it's the writing and it's not bad writing if anything it feels like really it feels like a a really great writer's first pass or something wherein they haven't had the discipline to pare it down a little the dialogue is sometimes really really purple especially mcconaughey's stuff when he just goes on a tear about whatever which at first it is, is kind of interesting and you think okay like this is the sort of character this is but then he just goes on and on and on and we know it's it's supposed to be exasperating but I still think they overdid it.
0: Yeah, the the interesting thing for for me watching this is and obviously ideally we would be watching this in a vacuum we would not have heard other people's reviews or thoughts on it but I think it's been kind of hard to miss. The, yeah. the general, you know, approach your critical response to True Detective. And so I was watching this a uh, pilot and I also want to make sure to mention I love the theme song and the credits are, are great. So I know they're too long for your taste, but I I really liked them. And so, yeah, I'm watching these performances and listening to the dialogue and I can just sort of see the time to win an Oscar scene that's coming for us with these different characters, with uh, McConaughey having a... a deceased daughter and a drinking problem and it's like ah okay people are keep talking about how McConaughey's performance is so amazing I really hope to be surprised because right now what I'm expecting is something that will be very good but something that we've seen before so uh, I'm I'm kind of nervous about it though it is clearly a very good show and with with, you know very well-produced
1: it's the familiarity that I think is most bothersome, just the in terms of the character tropes, in terms of the, oh, scores of dead women, in terms of the, the occult angle on the murders, which I'm just going to assume is something we're not supposed to take seriously because this is something that has never, ever happened in real life, ever, mm-hmm. uh, as illustrated by Paradise Lost. So I'm thinking that's a bit of a red herring and they're going to take that in a more interesting direction at some point, I hope. I also feel like people get excited about stuff like this where big deal movie stars make appearances on TV. And I kind of think it's not fair <laughs> to, the, to the format because <laughs> one of the things that's great to me about TV is getting to discover new actors you know, or, or having you know, lifers and character actors who've been around for a long time finally get a shot at this incredible role that they get to dive into for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 episodes. So to have, you know, McConaughey and Harrelson, who are both great, don't get me wrong, swoop in and get all these accolades, is almost like not fair. <laughs> like, these are the sort of roles I would much rather see, you know, an unfamiliar face get and then to have someone new and exciting blow me away or old and exciting. You know what I mean? Like, as much as I think it's it's interesting that we can get sort of more high-profile people both in front of and behind the screen... Uh, due to these shorter commitments, I think that people don't necessarily... I think people take for granted the awesome stuff they get from the rest of their TV.
0: Well, yeah, and I I actually... I sort of... I agree with your point, but I take it sort of the other direction, where it's... I wouldn't necessarily prefer to see a different actor in these roles. My question is more, are these performances or are these... Is this casting getting so much buzz and so much praise... Because we already know that these are really talented actors and are the performances and we'll have to wait to see the episodes that all the other critics have seen that we haven't yet. But are these performances that much better than the the some of the amazing performances being given by by your Aiden Young's and these other actors with amazing, amazing performances on television, but who aren't. Big movie stars who don't have that acclaim going into it. Do people value them more because they can point to it and say, "Oh, you know that really great actor from the movies? He's being a really great actor on TV."
1: Yeah, so I, I'm definitely suspicious of that whole thing. As much as I don't want to, I don't want to seem like we're just pissing on the parade for fun. Because there is, it's a lot of good stuff here. Some of the dialogue and, and writing is, is really good. I think that the editing is fantastic in terms of the way they, they go from one time period to the other. I think usually that's a really frustrating plot device, but I think it's actually going to work here due to, you know, just how solid the construction is. I just hope that it's going somewhere that I haven't seen before. I, I, I mean, I, I did see people talking about how this, like, breaks the rules of police procedurals,
0: and I thought, really? Does it, though? Which rules is it breaking? Because it seems like it's... Exactly within the the, the lines. Um, the other element I do want to make sure to mention is that I loved the visual. I shouldn't say loved. The visual of the 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 victim was very striking, and that that crime scene. And so that's you know that visual is going to stick in my head for a while. And uh, you mentioned Hannibal when we were discussing it beforehand, and I do think that there's elements of some of the staging of of Hannibal in this where you can just, you can see parallels in it. So what Hannibal is doing so well last year, I feel like this will likely be doing just as well this year. There's a lot of very striking visuals and it is a gorgeous series to look at.
1: Well, and not only that, but one of the, doesn't one of them actually say this is his vision, which was uncomfortably close to this is his design?
0: Mm. Yeah, well, you know, again, we'll, we'll wait to see how the characters play out. Do we want to have any predictions? Because right now, we're already calling it the Woody Harrelson's having an affair.
1: Uh, Woody Harrelson's having an affair, and Michelle Monaghan is not going to get anywhere near enough to do.
0: Yeah, definitely. That is clearly the case. Also, it seems pretty clear that they think uh, McConaughey is responsible, but he's not going to be. So, you know, we'll see. Hopefully
1: hopefully that gets taken care of in the first five minutes of next week.
0: (laughs) We'll find out. Any other thoughts on True Detective? Or if not, what wins your weekend drama?
1: Uh, just for sheer brand loyalty I gotta give it to Justified obviously
0: yeah I'm giving it to Justified as well with uh, yeah a fond place in my heart for these other shows as well let's take a break and come back with our interview with Mike Rice talking about Enlisted
2: Dear God ah. Rear D maintains the base and supports the families of deployed soldiers it's for the guys who can't cut it it's an important job you were the only Hill brother that wasn't a screw up oh. Ferris got no respect hates being a soldier where's my motorcycle boy come on where could I hide a bright yellow motorcycle it was in the tree. Randy loves being a soldier, which is too bad. I'm ready! Had to give me a
1: little bit more warning before he screamed directly into my face. Totally agree. Now, how do I get out of it? I didn't lose a foot in the landmine to hear you talk junk. You get it's weird, it's a white guy's foot. My size only comes in
2: white. This January... So if you're gonna be a bear, be a what? Oh, a panda bear. No, you're supposed to say grizzly. Pandas are very powerful. They can tear apart bamboo with their teeth. The point is be the strongest bear. With all due respect, pandas are very powerful. They can tear up all bamboo with their teeth. Oh, God. Three brothers,
1: one unit.
0: Just keep your unit out of my unit's way.
1: Unit. I'll put my privates up against your privates to any old thing. <laughs>
0: Seriously?
2: That was my fault. I'm sorry. I'm not a huge fan of double entendres, but this has been a fun exchange.
0: We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalswick, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week we have a special treat for you guys. We are joined by Mike Royce, one of the co-executive producers of the new Fox comedy Enlisted. Mike, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Hello, Televerse.
0: Obviously, we're going to talk about one of your other shows a little bit later in our DVD shelf segment, The Fabulous Men of a Certain Age. But before we do that, Enlisted just started this past Friday. It premiered. It's one of the most buzzed about and critically acclaimed comedies of this 2013-2014 season. I i'm a big fan i talked about it on the podcast last week uh where did the the process for enlisted start uh where did you know obviously it was created by kevin beagle your co-executive yes. producer uh, how did you become involved in the project
2: uh Ke- yeah kevin had written this uh pilot and they were looking for somebody to come on and uh sort of co-run it and uh I, you know, read his draft and I was he he created it based on a personal sort of combination of elements where he has a lot of family that was in the military. His dad and a lot of other people served. And he has two brothers who have this, you know, hit and hug relationship that they just have a dynamic that's very much like the brothers that, that are, you know, that we now portray on the show. And he sort of had a epiphany to combine those two things. Um, because he always wanted to do something about the military, and he always wanted to do something about his brothers. Um, and when I read it, it was just—it—it it gives you something that a lot of comedies don't give you right off the bat, which is—it it felt even though it's in places, it's it, there's there's it's broad, it's silly sometimes. Um, it was very funny, but also had this really kind of deep connection that I felt like he really knew who these guys were because they're you know the personal connection really gave it that specificity that that makes something good and then the the idea of doing something in this world of of the military where there's millions and millions of americans especially over the last 10 12 20 years uh, it, it, you know have have served and have family it's just this unexplored place where where real you know, I, I want to say drama, but re- just real stuff is happening. It's, it's a workplace that people work in that you don't hear anything about. And meanwhile, obviously, you know, there's a lot of shows on the air set in all, sort of various offices that you don't, you know, advertising this kind of things that don't, that, that get explored a lot. Um, and this is, this was just untapped. And so he did such a great job, uh, writing this. I was just really attracted to it. I want to come on and, and, uh, and help. And, uh, and so he was good enough to, to like me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think it's a really interesting and and fertile ground uh, narratively. There's a lot of stories you can tell because any obviously any workplace sort of comedy or, or drama, you're going to have people who wouldn't necessarily choose to spend time together in the same room, and that always provides lots of you know interesting op- opportunities for storylines. But when you add in the family element, and I mean, it is sort of surprising to me that we haven't seen. More shows set with you know in some sort of a military background we have a show like n c i s but that's much more of a police procedural than it really right. is a military kind of show it is it was it surprising to you that there hasn't been more exploration of this this
2: world i, I think people are nervous a little bit because there's a there's a uh worry yeah. that you'll disrespect you know somebody who's doing such a noble job and um i so i and i i guess for Kevin's part, he just felt this personal connection to it, whereas I'm I'm not sure that everybody feels that. If you create a show, especially for broadcast television, uh, a lot of times you're looking to give them what they want, you know, and a lot of times what they want is something that's not going to be controversial or scary. And Fox, to their credit, was looking to do something. They they just thought you know that, that yes, it's an unexplored area of the military, so. Kevin came to them. It wasn't like they were out there like, hey, somebody bring us a bunch of military comedies. Kevin came to them um, with this thing and it just sounded really interesting to them. So so I think that's it. I think it just doesn't it's probably not. You know, I'm going to guess that a ton of writers in Hollywood are not military experienced Um, (laughs) and, you know, uh, those that are probably write about it in a dramatic sense. And um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a tough uh, needle to thread, probably.
0: Well, one of the elements of the, the four episodes that I've seen, and I would assume moving forward, the show will continue this. These stars are obviously you have the relationship of the three brothers, but there's also this really great uh, general camaraderie amongst the entire cast. It's a large supporting cast, and I would say I think you guys have used them really well. Uh, was that something you guys were specifically looking uh, to gear towards, uh, larger, more diverse cast of, of characters, or was it really more about these three brothers and then sort of fleshing out a world to support them?
2: Well, it's both, but I would say it was incredibly important to us to make the, our military look like, uh, you know, reflect the diversity of the U S army. And so that's, you know, always going to be important. We have three brothers, so they're brothers so their family. Um, so they are a certain. They are three white guys. But uh, other than that, it was you know. And we we every time we cast, we are really laser focused on making sure that it looks like the U.S. Uh, U.S. Army. And um, we found really, really talented people. Like there's not a weak link in those, um, in any of the platoon. Uh, and it was really gratifying as we went along when we started the pilot. It was um you know, they each had I don't know, a line or a noise, you know, they barely had anything to do really. And uh we were able to give them more and more as the season went on and they just they not only nailed it, they then bring their own thing. You know, there, a lot of them are very funny comedians or comedic actors and they, you know, we'll we stick to the script pretty pretty severely, but then we'll, you know, we'll do it a little take where we loosen it up or whatever, let them riff a little bit. And they give us such great stuff there. Um It was, it was fantastic. So yeah, we, we, I think our plan was, yes, the three brothers are the, the, the foundation of the show, but uh, hopefully if we get to a second season, we've got now all this, we've laid the groundwork with all these other people that we can start doing more stories focused on them even.
0: Absolutely, and and for me, looking at the show, it's not just uh, diversity, uh, you know, ethnically or racially. It's also about a little bit about age and about body type, and yeah. it's it's yeah. it's not just you know, let's have a rainbow cast. It's let's right. represent all different kinds of people and and backgrounds and, and all of that. So it's something I particularly appreciated about about the show.
2: Oh, good, good. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we I'll be perfect to be perfectly frank, yes, there's people some of the people who are overweight in our platoon, they they're, they're they would not be in the actual US military because they would be too overweight. We're stretching reality there a little bit. However, it does reflect the reality in that not every soldier looks the same. And certainly ethnically, not every soldier is the same. Uh so that's you know, that's the overarching goal.
0: Well, and Hollywood Thin or Hollywood fit is not usually at least the pictures I have seen of the military, there's all sorts of different body types that are still people who are really fit. So it's not, you yeah. know, rail yes. thin isn't necessarily military accurate either. So no, that
2: is correct. That yeah. is correct.
0: Now, one of the elements that I particularly enjoyed in, in this, these episodes is that the, the relationship obviously with the brothers is the heart of the show, but you have the, the, uh, I guess I would say the lead character of Pete played by Jeff Stoltz, who's come back from Afghanistan and, uh, there's a sense that he's struggling with maybe something, uh, some level of PTSD, but you guys don't name it as such. And I really appreciate that. And there's a, uh, there's a subtlety to that, that through line of that character that, that I've found really interesting. Is it something you plan to continue moving forward? Do you think you'll name it and address it directly? Or do you want to just sort of let that inform the character?
2: Um, I don't, definitely it continues through, you know, we thread through, we're, you know, our goal is to do a comedy, but to also stay, keep a foot in reality. And we're not trying to do an after school special about PTSD. But at the same time, it reflects the reality of when you come back from war, you change. You may change a little bit. You may change a lot. There's a lot of gray area in there. You know, Kevin, one of Kevin's goals here is to just show the show the I, I, you know, I, I want to say the everyday soldier, you know, the as opposed to the Hollywood sort of stereotype of you have a guy who's. Uh, you know, raging, crazy, um, you know, that's one, one extreme. And then somebody who's just comes back from war and nothing's happened. That's another extreme. Um, We're trying to do something more reflecting the reality of it, or I should say a different reality um, with, with, with Pete's character. So we, we, it, it, it's, it gets touched on in a few other episodes. I'm actually very happy and I guess proud of, of how we deal with it because I, I feel like each time it doesn't it doesn't get like crazy i think the first time you see it, it it is the the we you know we try to make sure you know what we're talking about even though we don't say it um but but even when we touch on it later it doesn't take away from the enjoyment of that you're watching a comedy but it keeps his character grounded in a way that you're rooting for him you know and that to me that's always the most important thing about a comedy is it's great if it's funny, but it's even greater if it's funny and you care about the characters.
0: Absolutely. And the, the I guess the last element that I wanted to particularly mention is I do really enjoy the relationships between the, the three brothers as, as a middle child myself, I maybe uh, <laughs> <laughs> identify more with Chris Lowell's character of Derek. <laughs> uh, the pot stirring is, is fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> For me mm. but I, I do think people will identify with these different roles and obviously they're somewhat heightened it's it's a comedy you're, you're looking for the humorous interpretation of these kinds of family right. relationships but it's something that i think works really well and i think audiences if they will look for the show on fridays might be yes. hard to find but if they do i think they'll enjoy it
2: great i appreciate you uh saying that and yes fridays at 9 30 on fox fridays at 9 30 on Fox, <laughs> <laughs> right
0: after *Raising Hope*, another show that people should should probably be yes. paying more attention to.
2: I feel like Friday a great night to stay home. All you people who go out and have better lives than me.
0: See, I don't know. I've I've always been a Friday is is stay home and watch sci-fi person. So I don't, Oh, that's right. That's you know. you know
2: what? That's true. That's kind of been the thing, especially on Fox, right? *Fringe* mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah.
0: Oh, going back *Battlestar*. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know how much more of a, I, that, that I have to say about the show other than I think really people should check it out. And and I, I wish you the best of luck with the ratings and and you guys have put together a good show. So
2: thanks. I really appreciate it. Thank you. How do you eat that much? How can you not? Aren't you sleepy? How do you not need a nap? It's angry eating. It's that job, man. Last time I was in there, his father said I should be a salesman. No, thank you. You know what? That's something you'd actually be good at. I couldn't take being a salesman It's too Sisyphean. To what? Sisyphean. No, no, that's bullshit.
1: Don't say that like we're supposed to know what it means. You don't know what that means? Oh, you know what it
2: means? You know, I hear a lot of things that I don't know what they mean, and you put them in a context. But I can't, I still don't know what that means
0: same things that turned me
1: on as a kid will i look back and say that i wish i hadn't
2: done what i did
0: now let's move on to our our other discussion which is i I'm so excited to talk about Men of a Certain Age. and
2: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so so
0: we do this our weekly segment of the DVD shelf where we have guests come on to talk about a show, one of their favorite shows no longer on the air. And uh, and so I was talking on Twitter about how I couldn't wait for someone to want to talk about Men of a Certain Age. And who better to bring on than one of the co-creators?
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, every, every once in a while, I'll just kind of uh, yearn for the old days and... Scan men of, of a certain age on Twitter and just see if anybody's out there watching it because it's a you know very very near and dear to my heart.
0: Well, and it's a show that uh, at the time I I mostly missed it. I'm pretty sure I saw some of the ads, but I, I was in school and I was in college and right, right. and. And as great as the the show is, it wasn't really speaking to the college, Understood. the female musician yes. experience, because uh, that's not what it's about. <laughs> and uh, I caught up with it later, actually through the recognition of my father, who loves the show and oh, really good. feels like it speaks to to, to his experience and, and all of that. And I was so g- grateful that I did, because I, I really enjoy not only each of these performances from the central trio of Ray Romano, Andre Brower and Scott Bakula, but just the relationships of, 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 all of the, these characters, individual worlds. And I also feel like I have more of a, into maybe male friendships and relationships. Cause when I was watching it, I kept saying, why don't they just tell each other what's going on? Like, Oh, cause <laughs> these are guys. Simon, <laughs> am I being too stereotypical by just saying these are guys or does, do the, did you recognize these friendships as well?
1: Um, you know, I, you're putting me in a tough spot because I don't really do the whole male friendship thing, but
0: <laughs> I, I I do
1: think that um, what I found interesting about the series is, and I'll be curious to get uh, your take, Mike, on what was deliberate and what was just sort of off the cuff. All the little places where it zigs, where you think it'll zag. I think one of my favorite examples of that is uh, right there in the pilot when Brower and his wife are having a discussion about his future at work. And um, and he talks about how he wants to quit. And and so she starts talking about, oh, I'll support you. No, wait, sorry. That's (laughs) bullshit. Uh, You can't do that. There's a family to think about. Go back to work, please. (laughs) That to Uh, me was was one of the first signs that I was really going to dig the show. I mean, when you have those moments, was that a was was that a real self-conscious move or did that sort of come about naturally?
2: Oh, honestly, you just made my day by saying that, because uh, that that is, I think, for Ray and myself, the most important thing is not to just like, you know, arbitrarily zig when people think you're zag, but like, in that case, it was a conscious effort to build up, you know, an expectation for when you see something on television, you expect it to, okay, it's going to go this way, you know, but for this show, for these guys at this age, she just, she can't be the just automatically supportive wife. You know, if you're Thirty and your newlyweds, and maybe they're, even then, it's sort of you know, what are you what are you doing with your life? You're going to quit? What? You know, uh, your spouse has to be a you know to show the real side of it. We felt like it, w- it was, we we had sort of a perfect situation where the, a television show would normally do this, where she's very supportive and he goes, thank you, and then he goes off and follows his dream, and that's all there is to it. But what? The reality of the situation was: is you have a family and you have kids, and we can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish you could do that, but you're doing great, so keep doing it. You know, and the most important thing is what we have, right? You know, and and he he agrees, even as he is sort of resigned to his reality. Um, that kind of gave us a great foundation, also for him. You know, I always picture Andre like um, Andre's character. Um, a little like George Bailey, you know, he's the guy who, who was sort of trapped in his situation and didn't really have, you know, he, he, we do a little bit in the show. one of the episodes about how a little backstory about, he tried to open his own business, you know? Um, I think if I remember right, it was music. He would try to open like a, like a record store or something like that. And it just crashed and burned. And he had borrowed money from his father, you know, who was played uh, by uh, Richard Gant. And, um, and a crash and burned. he came back and had to come back with his tail between his legs and start working for his father again and he was never able to get out from under. So he constantly lives in this sort of like, I really wish I was doing something that more spoke to me, but this is my prison and it's sort of my golden handcuffs sort of a prison because I'm kind of, I'm the boss. I'm the boss's son, so I'm in charge of stuff, but it's not what I wanted to do, you know. So that was I got off on a tangent there. But anyway,
1: (laughs) (laughs) well, and that's that to me also makes me think of of the fact that this is uh, and uh, Kate, as the TV editor, maybe there's a listicle here, but it seems to me that there's so many great shows in the last 10 years about the middle class that never really gain an audience. And I wonder how much that specific factor has to do with it, because you don't get that sort of vicarious thrill of escapism. Right, uh, but and you and it makes you wish that people valued that sort of thing. But you know, you you also get it at the same time.
2: It, I mean, if we're talking about why the show has not, you know, was not able to continue after two seasons, there's a, a million factors in there. And you know, basically, TNT tried their best, and I give them all the credit in the world for doing the show because they did it and nobody else did. It's not really where people, what people want on TNT. You know, it's not really their brand. And I think uh, if we had been a little bit more uh, it's just it, a little. If we had been on a pay cable network or something like that, where people don't have to worry about ads or we're a little more protected, like a show like Tremé or something like that, that that you're just allowed to be what you are. Again, I give all the TNT all the credit in the world. They try, they they you know they did everything that they could to try and um, make us succeed. But I think the basic thing is it it's just it, not so much the subject matter, but the the you know the people that got in front of weren't necessarily they probably wanted more of a comedy out of it.
1: Well, I think it was it was obviously your fault for not making any of them a cop or a spy.
0: Yeah, clearly, <laughs> that's the answer. Uh, <laughs> well, cuz when I remember when I was first uh hearing about the show or watching as I was like T- TNT and it was sort of one of those shows when I, you know, was able to to actually, you know, dive into the show where it reminded me of sort of when when Veronica Mars was on UPN. Or yes. bunheads, or the middleman—I should say—on ABC Family. Some of these I, shows where you know somebody at the the network said, "Okay, this is a really good show. It doesn't fit with our core, you know, the kinds of shows we usually do and what our audience goes to TNT expecting." Yeah, but this is a really good show, so let's at least try.
2: Yes, and I think back when we we when they when they picked us up, they were still finding their brand. You know, they they mm-hmm. had only a couple, three shows, and they expanded very quickly during our time there and found more stuff that worked for them and sort of, you know, we, we were not it. (laughs) We got, I mean, we, we have nothing but happiness in terms of, you know, we, a lot of people love the show. There's some really diehard fans. We got a lot of, we want a Peabody. That was fantastic. You know, we, we certainly have had our share of recognition. So that was great. And we love doing it. Of course, it would have been great to do more. And I still hold out hope We, we wrote a whole movie to wrap it up. And we were very close to actually doing it on TNT, and the economics and schedule did not work out. This is a couple years ago. Um, But the movie exists. I know how it ends. (laughs) (laughs) Not like it's a big cliffhanger or anything, but uh, – you know, before everyone gets into uh, before we start to do the show, just old men. It would be nice to sort of wrap up men of a certain age.
0: <laughs> well, let's let's dive into some more of the specifics of of each of these characters. I, I I gotta say, I know this is probably what everybody says, but those diner scenes have to be my favorite mm. of the, of the series. There's, there's many scenes that, uh, really stand out to me in particular. I was going to mention that exact scene that you did, Simon, with, with Lisa Gay Hamilton and Andre Brower in the pilot. That's how I knew this was a show for me, uh, when we get that moment, but watching, uh, Romano Bra- Brower and Bakula sitting around the table at that diner, especially with just what the show was about. It was such great casting. And obviously Romano is a co-creator, but, uh, but what was the process like for 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 getting Scott Bakula and Andre Brower involved in the show?
2: Well, I I really give all I mean credit to all three of those guys, and yeah, I mean Ray and I did everything together as far as like you know the the casting and the writing and you know everything. Uh, um, As far as he was, Ray was there reading with everybody who came in and read. And we had a very long casting process. But I give the, the, I mean, those three are just, they don't need me to say it. They're obviously three amazing actors. I think Ray is knocking everybody's socks off again on Parenthood. And people keep, I keep reading like, oh, my God, who knew Ray Romano was a good actor? (laughs) Oh, my, you know, it's how long is it going to take (laughs) for people, you know, the, the sitcom thing, I think. I don't want to say it taints you, but it puts you in a certain, you're doing a certain style and it was hard for people to, to, you know, when they saw him, a man of a certain age. And then now on Parenthood, they see he's amazing. You know, he's great. He's my friend. So I am biased, but like, you know, but those other two guys, I mean, they have long, amazing careers. And I think the, to, to their credit, the, uh, the thing that the, the greatest achievement was their are three famous guys. And you immediately believed that they were both these characters and that they were friends. You know, you never sat there going, well, it's the quantum leap guy and the other guy from Homicide and the other guy from the show." You know, w- within that first diner conversation, you're really believing, "Oh yeah, no, they've been friends for 25 years and uh, they're they're these guys who they are." And um, and uh, that fell away really quickly. And th- that's a hard thing when you're an actor who has made a put a stamp on another character to come in and, and you know create a, another indelible character. Um, you know, those guys just. I can't uh, say enough about him. I was just saying
1: to Kate that in terms of major characters, Andre Brower has to have the most diverse
2: TV curriculum vitae of all time. (laughs) Well, now especially. I saw him last night holding the two puppies. We couldn't stop laughing. (laughs) I don't know if you saw that on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but it was really funny. (laughs) Oh, yes, I did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and also just, you know, these are three guys who had very successful shows in the 90s, and this is, you know, Obviously, Quantum Leap and and Homicide and Everybody Loves Raymond all ended at different times, but, you know, in the same general vicinity of how most people tend to think about television. And, you know, we talked about this when we did our DVD shelf on on Quantum Leap and also when we did our DVD shelf on Homicide, um, but... I I really think that especially Scott Bakula is an underappreciated actor. He really wowed me when I went back and and really dove into Quantum Leap. And so it, it was really nice to sort of see the aesthetic of the show which is about these guys who you know, are in a part of their lives that doesn't usually get talked about a lot on television. You know, certainly not friends that are that age. Certainly not a show, you know, centered on people that age, but it's also yeah. with these actors that maybe viewers had kind of forgotten, TV yeah. viewers had forgotten were actually really good and you know, maybe they should reinvestigate their work
2: i i i mean i couldn't agree more and um on top of that they were incredibly uh, good sport isn't even the word you know they're playing when you're that age you know when you're late 40s early 50s as an actor you really don't want to be reminding people that you're that age that's not that's the time when you're still trying to basically go i'm still you know i can play whatever action star i can do Those guys embrace these roles that are, you know, the whole show is about, hey, we're at middle age, you know, and uh, they were not vain in any sense of the word. Andre Bauer was like, I'm taking my shirt off for the pilot. He at that point was uh, he had gained some weight (laughs) and we we wrote the show. We actually wrote the part originally for a, a more overweight guy and. It was kind of funny because I think we were talking to either his agent or his manager, somebody, I can't remember, uh, who represented him. And we're like – when they pitched him, we're like, well, he's obviously amazing, but he's not. We don't picture him being really like an overweight guy who's who's got you know diabetes and got pro- health problems. He seems like very commanding. And there was kind of a pause on the other phone. The guy was like, well, he's getting a little – like his, <laughs> his, his rap is trying to gingerly say, well, he's a little um, – Andre immediately started losing weight when we started shooting and uh um we were joking that like we think we we uh we think the show uh you know uh, shaped him up <laughs> <laughs> but he um no he he just went at it you know he just went at it and um and the, the, all three of them just embraced everything
0: well, and there were a couple other faces that I was very pleasantly surprised to to see. Obviously, Simon, we've been a big fan of Emily Rios the past year, watching her on, on the bridge oh, and, and yeah. Breaking Bad. So that was a delightful surprise. I have to say, though, I think the single actor whose performance made me laugh the most has got to be Shelley Desai as Carlos, <laughs> though. <laughs> suffering succotash! Oh my God!
2: <laughs> now you made when well, if, if Ray <laughs> listens to this, uh, which I hope you will, you've made his day because that's his favorite moment is suffering succotash.
0: Oh my God! I I don't know how the actor I don't know how <laughs> he did that so many and I enjoyed watching one of the the gag reels where there were a, a few more takes of that moment. But yes, yes, yeah. it, oh,
2: it was funny so. every time. It was amazing. It was yes, it it could have gone. We had a lot of that. The shooting that day was crazy, but yeah, Shelley is he just has that face, you know? He um, you know, we got a lot of mileage out of just him deadpanning stuff and where there's a lot of gag real stuff of Ray not being able to keep a straight face when he's doing stuff with Shelly and Emily is, I mean, man, she's just the best, um, you know, and little JJ too, uh, mm-hmm. who I yeah, believe definitely. doesn't go by that name anymore. But, um, yeah, it was, yeah, the, the supporting cast, um, we were really fortunate in finding people like Penelope Ann Miller and Melinda McGraw and, uh, obviously Lisa Gay, you know, just mm-hmm. tremendous.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the, 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 Series of women brought in as uh, as romantic interests for for both uh, Joe well, and, and, too, and yeah. Terry too. It was yeah. just like right. these guys are doing pretty good. Gotta say,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that is true.
1: <laughs> in In terms of since Kate brought up romantic interest, one of the things I find most interesting about the show is that yes, it's a show about three men, uh, two of whom are not married, so there will be romantic entanglements. But I I was surprised at there seemed to be an effort to balance that out where yes some of the plots involve romant, you know romantic stuff but if anything there's more than that 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 rely on sort of professional problems or health issues i mean was that something that was that you and ray sort of figured out early on or again was that just kind of well he's we absolutely sort of more we, organic
2: we wanted a mix and and each character i mean the sort of overarching thing for the married guy is, I'm, you know, I'm weighed down with all these responsibilities. And I'm, I wish I didn't have them at the same time that I want them because I want to be, I mean, I want this life. So that was always his struggle. And he had, he, you know, Owen had the business to contend with, which was inextricably linked with his father, which, so that was a whole family thing, you know. Um, Then uh, Terry's issues were always about growing up and and settling down. And do I want that? And what, what, you know, basically being a a relatable situation that a lot of actors have. And I think in a lot of, in a lot of professions, you reach a point where you're like, I guess I'm just doing this now because there's no turning back. And when you're an actor, you have this weird, you turn a certain age and suddenly maybe the jobs are drying up or, you know, in his case, he sort of was always treading water. It's hard because now I don't have any marketable skills <laughs> besides acting. Um, uh, you know, what else do I have? So you're really put in a in in a you know in the middle of a whirlwind. And then for him, it was also like I I guess I have to kind of shit or get off the pot romantically as well. So for him, it wasn't a matter. We never wanted it to be you know old guy dating a lot of younger girls. If we if he did that, we wanted to really call him on it. We touched on it a couple of times. But it was more about him finding what the right life was for him, you know. And then for Ray, for, for Joe, we always wanted to – we thought it was kind of interesting to see that guy who's out in the dating world again. But that wasn't his whole thing either because he, um, he's got a lot of problems, Joe. <laughs> but
0: jo- Joe's uh, most significant relationship is probably with Manfro over the course of, that's
2: right. of the that's series. Right. Yes. It,
0: oh, man. And I swear, in the second, uh, especially in the second season, when, when Joe, for those few episodes, is taking breaths, I, he, the character was trying to break my heart. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, just, it's such a, it's always so frustrating as a viewer. And it's a, it's a very, when it's done well, it's obviously what creators are going for. But it's so frustrating to watch characters make destructive decisions. And just yes. you just know it's going to all explode. And if yeah. the show does it right, you really, really care that their life is about to explode. and. Yeah I I really appreciated the 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 depth given to that relationship and to the Manfro character. You you think oh now they're kind of friends and but then he knocks out his tooth but right. then he comes back to say and put it in milk so that yeah. he, <laughs> yeah. I you know that, that, yeah something about that character. I was very I was very surprised by the handling of of that character and it it, it worked. I I thought it worked for me at least. I really well, enjoyed that.
2: No Manfro is definitely one of our most probably you know popular characters because he's he's very complex and you know that it's a testament to john manferlotti's fantastic you know embodiment of that character and the two of them have i mean you know ray and and john are actual longtime friends uh they have an um, the, the chemistry you see on screen is different than what, the way they are as friends but there's a certain similarity you know they type, they take aspects from it but um but yeah it's it's very tied up you know manfro is not was not a guy who he's a, he's a businessman and at the same time he is a lonely man, and he thought he had formed this friendship with Joe, and then it turns out Joe didn't think he was doing anything that would. Uh, but obviously, Manfred felt, felt incredibly betrayed. So, by you know, from our storytelling uh, vantage point, it was that was all about a guy who was wounded, you know. And uh, Mm -hmm. so in that way, I don't want to say the word bromance because I'll just kill myself, but (laughs) (laughs) they had a deep relationship that um, that went beyond just, you know, two guys hanging out. Well,
1: speaking of relationships, another thing I found really interesting about the show as sort of a through line is that these guys get into these scrapes and, and difficulties of various levels. And then they also have these powwows at the diner and on hikes and stuff. But it's rare that they actually directly intervene in each other's lives because they have their own stuff to think about. Right. And that was another thing I found really interesting.
2: Well, that it's it's interesting cuz it creates dramatic problems. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were constantly trying to find ways that they realistically would intersect. I mean, the diner, a lot of people who you know, people they were our probably our most popular scenes. People always quoted them and stuff like that, but at the same time, you always had people going, "Wow, how do they find time to have lunch?" And you know, and that's true. I mean, I'm a you know, married, you know, and have two kids, and yeah, when do I find time to hang out with my male friends? Not very often. Um, but that's in a certain way, it's like a little bit of wish fulfillment. There's a, it's like in a good way, you know, it's a realistic <laughs> wish fulfillment. <laughs> um, so we were constantly trying to find, you know maintain that reality of like yeah well he wouldn't be involved in his storyline because he's working or he's doing this but um at the same time you know make it make it if you can't just be doing three separate storylines completely and not have them talk you know
0: well and their conversations affect each other but again and this was the element uh where i was watching it going is this just a guy relationship thing where, cause they don't ever tell each other what is actually going on in their lives. They just, yeah. they can tell some things up because they're, you know, they're acting, you know, they're more agitated or their, their particular quirks are, are a little heightened, Right. In, in a given day, but they they very rarely say, oh, well, I got dumped or the, uh you know, I've made, placed a giant bed and I'm probably going to destroy my life again. You know, like right. They, right. they don't actually tell each other any idea of what's going on in their lives. So even if they wanted to intercede or help, they don't know that they yeah. should.
2: I think there's a, you know, what we consciously or unconsciously, what we tried to achieve there was, yeah, guys... Well, I I hate to make the generalization, but basically these guys would never—it's—they would never sit down and go, "Oh my God, I got a problem. I got to talk it out with you guys." Mm -hmm. It—it's all the the reason they like being together is they don't have to, you know, directly address the things that are actually, you know, they can just shoot the shit, and that's at least, you know, in my experience, that's the thing that gentlemen like to do. Uh, But they've known each other for. 25 30 years so they also know when stuff is wrong and they kind of edge around it and they notice it but they don't fully address it or they just sort of throw something out there and just kind of check in a little bit um and they do care about each other and they try to figure out where the line is like how much am i talking to this guy about this you know um so yeah i think that was what i enjoyed about those scenes was sort of seeing what level of depth they would go into each time
0: Well, and they are also at least, uh, one of the the characters that I also really enjoyed particularly was, was Melissa and watching her struggle with her job. It's not just the, the male balance of, of friendship and and job and family and all that. I also really enjoyed that you gave Owen a wife who wanted to be working and, uh, his his conversation with her in the pilot about I really want to quit my job and do something else is then mirrored when she really wants to get a job and he's like right. it doesn't you can you know
2: yeah it doesn't yeah she she has a blind she's blind to how her industry has changed and she's uh kind of thinks she'll just jump right back in and then it's not really that way in a recession especially um yeah that you know that was, the frustrating thing about not doing more seasons is we really wanted to get into I think if we had been allowed to continue you would have seen the show evolve into sort of like people of a certain age. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh because her character what we wanted to do some stuff with that and, and because that's a whole relatable storyline of especially for women take yourself out of the job market for to raise your kids and then getting back in what does that entail? That's a huge challenge. Um and there's so many gray areas in there.
1: I, I wanted to ask you about uh, Joe and his gambling issue is specifically about the way in the second season, and I found this really fascinating, the way he sort of he finds another way to gamble, kind of, which is that yeah. he, he creates these mental bets with himself, which is something that I do, which I found really weird that oh. he does it because I've never gambled in my life. And I I'm thinking, am I a secret gambling addict? But anyway, uh-huh. I was just wondering how uh, sort of how the, the Joe sort of the his overall arc was crafted and, and devised.
2: Well, the, the mind bet thing is 100 percent Raymond Romano. That is, I mean, I just mean he does that. He he doesn't do it anymore because he took it so seriously that he got it himself into all kinds of like he would he would lose things, you know. He there's he can tell these stories better than I can, but like there's when we're doing everybody was Raymond, everybody was Raymond, especially he mostly made mind bets with himself when he golfed, and this is what we illustrated in the show is he he like. Uh, I think it, well, it was, it was in the colonoscopy episode, um, which is a terrible way to sum up an episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he, they're, they're supposed to go out to this great steak dinner and he is, he, he he's practicing his putting and um, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't win his, the bet that he's made for himself in his mind that he has to sink. I forget what it is, 10 in a row or uh, five in a row or something like that. And so he, the bet is if I don't make it, then I don't get to go to this dinner. And because he doesn't make it, he, you know, tells them I can't go with you. And they're like, what What are you talking about? We're, this is our thing we're doing together. Like, you're not just this is you're punishing us, too. Uh, and he adheres to it because basically that's what gives him the same feeling as if he had put money on the game. It sort of juices, gives him that gambler's high or whatever. It's an awful <laughs> It's a very big mental gymnastic that that he would put himself through, and uh, he's kind of stopped doing. He has stopped doing it now because even that was like too too much of a sort of a gambling thing.
1: It, it's it's horrible, and it says something about me that I, when they said that, when they make that realization, I was kind of like, "Come on, guys, just let him have it."
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does. He, he that's the thing is he is very strict about the mind bets. He does not waver, so that's why he had to stop doing it because it it you know he would do stuff like. I mean, you know, uh, if I don't, I don't know, golf, this, you know, if I don't get a below a 90, then I can't, uh, what is it? There was this thing. Yeah. I can't like, I can't watch TV in bed for a month. And I guess that's where he likes to watch TV or something. So then he, he talked about that, but then there's all these loopholes, which is another thing we illustrated in that episode. He, it's, so he's the letter of the law. So he's very strict, but there's loopholes. And, I remember he said he was watching. Okay, his wife was watching TV, was watching TV in bed. So he got into bed and he was, he allowed himself, like, I'm allowed to watch TV because, because she's watching. I'm not watching it. She's watching it. Like, she just has it on. I can't ask her to turn it off. So that's a loophole. So suddenly <laughs> I can watch TV. Then yep. so he's always watching. He's very happy because he's sort of had his cake and eat it too. He looks over. She's asleep. He thinks to himself and he goes and he turns off the TV because he's not allowed to do it. So that's the craziness. <laughs> we, we all
0: have our own brand of crazy, though. I I, sure. I identify with some of that, though. Uh, I mean, I the thing for me is, if what's the point of a mind bet if you're not going to get anything positive out of it? He never lets himself have no. anything that he wouldn't normally automatically have.
2: We would always, yeah. It's the it's it might be the Catholic in him.
1: Oh, that was the part <laughs> I really related to. Is there's no positive version of the mind bet? No. There's never any, anything to be gained. There's just the thing that you wouldn't have
2: taken away. That's right. That's right. It's all bad. It's all bad. When you win, you just get to keep being who you are.
0: That's just oh, that's just that is Simon right there. We've had conversations so many times about uh, uh, we we are we have fun conversations of the the yin and yang of my over and and Simon's realism. Is that a fair way to put it?
1: Yeah, it's, let's call it realism. Yeah.
0: Sure. <laughs> but talking about that, those those the mind bets and, and that the colonoscopy ep- as episode, as it were, there are a few of those that really because for a lot of for a lot of uh, the show my my appreciation of it is is more as a long form story and the journey of the characters you know like Owen and his relationship with his father and and Terry's growing maturity and it's it's more of a long form storytelling uh, narrative that's at least how i think of it but there are a few episodes like the colonoscopy episode and also like the one i wanted to point out uh, of the the first date with dory right, joe and dory right. The whole where the whole episode is just is absolutely distinct in my mind. We have that that uh, narrative uh, frame of telling the story at the diner, and you have the voiceover with the the guys and everything. Uh, And that was probably one of my favorite episodes because it did have that device. Uh, I wanted to ask if there are any other episodes uh, that that you wanted to specifically craft in that way. The baseball episode is another one Um, when you are when you were writing or, you know, was that like an intentional, we want X number of standalones sort of, or what was the approach to that?
2: Well, we, yeah, we, we always struggled trying to make them as standalone as we could even as we wanted it to be, uh, I don't know, serialized, or you know, we just wanted the viewer to be able to come in whenever mm-hmm. they wanted. But it, it kind of it was it, it, you really had to watch <laughs> watch <laughs> them as a serial to get satisfaction out of it. So it just kind of turned out that some of them were more standalone than others, and we just did our best. I mean, uh, unfortunately, TNT has a policy of like no, they don't like to do previously on because apparently. Uh, statistics show that people tune out you know if they're Mm -hmm. not already watching the show that shows them oh I must have missed something goodbye um so we we just did our best to make things standalone and and everything had a tether to the thing before it some of them just you know you some of them you could watch from beginning to end like the ones you're mentioning um and and have a satisfying experience and they did turn out I think just because a lot of them turned out to be our best episodes just because narratively within that episode you're really getting some satisfaction whereas some are better because they're paying off stuff over a whole season and i think each time our season finales turned out really well but partly it's because they're paying off everything we've set up
0: Yeah, simon were what were the episodes that for you uh remain distinct in your mind uh well i think
1: actually the, uh, both finales uh, since you mentioned them uh, did their job really effectively without putting too neat a bow on things which is I, th- I think my most frequent pet peeve about season finales is there's just too much of an effort to put a bow on things just in case yeah um but i, I think i think both finales did that really well uh, and since i've brought up finales and you mentioned uh things you wanted to do uh, with with michelle was there anything else uh that comes to mind in terms of characters or plot lines you would have liked to have paid off over future seasons had that occurred w- without wanting to spoil your potential future film.
2: <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we wanted to see Joe uh, go on the senior tour. The the whole um, great conceit that, you know, Ray knew when we got into the show that just, we were always aiming toward that towards, I think the most sort of frustrating, you know, Oh my God, we almost, we almost got there was that when you turn 50, you're new again on the senior tour. That's the beginning of the senior tour. So you have people who are, who maybe they didn't make it as a pro, but they're, or or they weren't great as a pro, but they're 50 now, now they're the young guy. So you may have, uh, you know, Jack Nicklaus or whatever, who's 70, 80 years old or whatever, who's golfing on the senior tour. He was the most amazing player of his time, but now he's 80 and you're 50. So you can beat him. And, for Joe, we you know had in, in the movie we would have had um, to sort of show we we actually in well anyway I don't want to get into the whole movie thing but you know to, to start a little later and show him show show what happened because that's where we got to at the end of the um, the end of season two was he had qualified he you know Ray always wants me to be specific when I talk about it he pre qualified which means he gets to qualify <laughs> this is very specific about the golf but the bottom line is yes we want to, wanted to see Joe. Um, after all this time dreaming of this thing, really kind of get into it and see what happens and the reality of that. And what happens when you have, a, you know, you own a business and you, 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 yeah, you own a business, but now you're sort of pursuing this dream that doesn't really pay very much unless you are successful at it, but maybe he would be somewhat successful. And anyway, you go back and forth with that. And then with Owen, you know, just, I think the tension of his father finally being out of the picture, um, and I think we wanted to maybe look at look a little bit into what he might do now that he's completely in charge of things and uh, is that satisfying? And is, uh, you know, we we had some stuff written about what he would do maybe if he could kind of kind of get his uh, business both like managed by somebody else and have a little time to himself. You know, Melissa was, a, you know, as I talked about, Melissa, we want to do a lot of stuff with. I think a lot of what we had in mind was how the tension between her now uh being out of the house and uh, what that means for Owen who's now living this very busy life being in charge of everything um and Terry you know we wanted to see uh obviously w- with him and uh finally shacking up i guess you could say with Melinda McGraw um uh and and ta- retackling his his acting except from the vantage point of directing and um Trying to see if he could be, you know, successful at that.
0: Well, and that's that. That arc for Terry is something that I enjoyed. Where at the end he's he's leaving the dealership to to start directing, and I I love that. Yes, maybe he has really is rediscovering his passion uh, for for artistic expression, uh, or maybe selling cars has been yet another one of his phases. Right, A, and that's all right. Yeah. He, and he's really good at it, and in, in, uh, he, he is giving away the security that he has being a salesman. But uh, just because it's one doesn't mean it's not the other.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's right. That's, I think the great thing about that we love exploring with Terry's character is, yeah, I think even he doesn't know at this point. You know, He doesn't know. He's been through so many, quote, phases that what, what is, what am I now? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. And he, the, 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 he's not a loser actor. In other words, he's not kidding himself. He's not a bad actor. He just is an actor, and most actors don't work very much. It's really hard to be a successful actor. He's also a really good director, but that's another thing that's really hard to get into, and especially when you haven't really made it your focus. Um, so we just, you know, it's, it's to, to me, the great thing about him is he's so capable, and he hasn't, it's not that he, he's in some ways, hasn't applied himself, and he's kind of a renaissance man. He has all these skills, but not quite sure what is his thing, you know? That that was always what I loved about him.
0: Yeah, and some of those I, I love that you guys made him a really good cook and gave him some other things that he had picked up over time.
2: That
0: right. uh, that I, I think there's plenty of time spent exploring, you know, the, the the negative maybe elements of some of his life choices. But I like that there's some positivity in there too because that when he's talking about that risotto, it sounded really good.
2: <laughs> ah, that's actually one of my favorite episodes. I will say, I think that's the Great Escape. That's mm-hmm. that's sort of an underrated uh, episode. that doesn't get. Uh, that people don't remember too much. And um, Scott was so amazing in that episode mm-hmm. where she uh, drops the bomb on him.
1: Speaking yeah. of Scott Bakula, I just wanted to give props to his his revelation sequence in the first season finale when he's talking about how, when he has that realization of maybe I finally, really, actually for realsies can't do the acting right. thing, right? And it's it's not like you know it's a scene you've probably seen before, and I'm sure you'd seen scenes like that before. But I I, I think that he, I mean, it's partially partially because he's bringing his his actual baggage into it, and we we have that interesting cognitive distance of no, you're actually a really successful actor who is around this age who's made a career out of it, and it maybe it's it's the gainsmanship of us knowing that and him still selling it makes it doubly impressive. But uh, that was one scene that's going to stick in my mind for a long time.
2: Oh, good, good. Yes, he's... Uh, yeah, again, I have to hand it to Scott because he's, he's doing a double thing in terms of he's playing an actor who is his age. <laughs> <laughs> we're focusing on the fact that they're his age and the fact that they're not successful. I mean, obviously, Scott Bakula has been tremendously successful, but he really dove into it. It was fantastic.
0: Yeah. Well, we do actually need to, to wrap up. We've gone much longer than we tend to go on these segments. Great. Uh, but, uh, well, yeah, that's because it's been so much fun. But uh, <laughs> the the last element that I want to make sure I mention, uh, I was mentioning it was great to see Emily Rios. It was also a lot of fun to see Dylan Minnette, who yeah. Simon and I both really enjoyed on Awake and uh, Lost before that, as as one of uh, Albert's bandmates, just kind of in the background. Uh, but <laughs> I, I did really like that arc with Albert, too, and, uh, you know, and the, the I think the kids, because... We talk a lot about on the Televerse how kids on TV can be really interesting and they can also be done rather horribly. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. So well I-
2: Braden Braden Lemasters and Britney curran they were both they played the mm-hmm. kids yeah, just great, great actors and so, you know, we obviously wanted to write uh so it wasn't it never felt like an after school special kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um and that was part of part of their storylines came out of I mean, Ray's kids were that age at that point and uh Um, so they, they, you know, they played it real real and it was great.
0: Yeah. Well, and then the, the last thing I do need to mention is the, we've touched on it, but really I have to commend the, the writing for the, uh, the relationship between Owen Thoreau and Owen Thoreau Jr. Like that, that's struggling.
2: Uh and,
0: And it's another one where it's never, it's never really resolved in a typical television fashion where there's some fight and then the the father understands that he's really hampering his son and the son understands what the father's going through and then it all is resolved like that doesn't and happen and the son
1: being i'm done with you yeah. this is over right
0: right <laughs> yes it, it, you know it, yeah. it it goes there are ups and downs and so they come to some level of understanding um and 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 then and then owen has to leaves and goes to work for scarpulo and then he comes back and and it, it is wanted back but that doesn't change who these people are and uh you know that goes that follows all the way through to this, this the finale the series finale and so, so that is i know I, from from people i know that, that sort of difficult relationship between father and son is is something that really has touched uh you know touched some truth for a lot of people so i had to commend that
1: thank you thank you i just i just have a quick music supervision nerdery question before (laughs) we go uh were were tnt immediately and totally willing to shell out for the beach boys or was that a negotiation
2: Uh, well, first of all, Gary Calamar, who was our music supervisor, found that song and made the, t- like, just made, our, like, we when, we, when he said, well, maybe this one, and we put it up against the credits, we were like, you have made the show. Like, that <laughs> was, so we, the sad, <laughs> I won't take too long, but basically, they weren't willing to shout out for it um, at first. And we were doing a cover by one of my favorite musicians of all time, uh, Matthew Sweet. And nice. He, so he was recording this cover, and the cover sounded great. But for our show, it you needed the real one. You know what I mean? The cover was a brilliant. The cover, uh, but the cover actually just worked against the fact that it's you know the whole uh, old movie um, titles. It just it's a weird thing to have a new version of a song against this sort of the whole thing is sort of our nostalgia for our you know when we were young and growing up and in college and everything. So it never just, it never felt right, even though it was, you know, sounded fantastic. And honestly, we started, uh, when we were premiering or ne- when we were, we had sent the thing out to critics, we were getting some very good notices. We kind of leaned on TNT and said, oh, the critic versions had gone out with the Beach Boys song. So the screeners and, uh, Some of the reviews mentioned the Beach Boys song as one of their favorite things. It's a perfect theme song. Oh, my God, this is great. So we took that to TNT and said, oh, my, you have to. (laughs) Look, this is, you know, we can't go back on this now. Everyone loves the real song. Please, 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 please. And they were nice enough to give it to us. And uh, then it cost us a lot of money every (laughs) (laughs) and may have contributed to our downfall later uh, in terms of the show being expensive. But nonetheless, it was perfect, perfect song.
0: I I can't imagine that's... I would never have guessed that the credits were made before the song was chosen because it just seemed so clear to me watching it that, oh, this is a great theme song. And so that inspired this credit sequence.
2: It was... Yeah, it was... I mean, it sort of went hand in hand, but we always knew it would be old... uh, old pictures or old movies or something like that. And, you know, we had, actually, I think the song was before we had the, we still had a very temp version of those credits, but, but yeah, we, he found that and it was like, Oh my God, that's so perfect. How did I not know about that?
0: Well, and that discussion of of music reminds me of one of the other things I did want to mention, which is I love the Andre Broward talking about uh, jazz (laughs) (laughs) as a jazz fan myself uh the all all the music talk back and forth with with, you know the jukebox and joe and i i enjoy the soundtrack of you know pretty much all the music he was playing at the store was stuff i i like and so uh throw that in that you know with with uh the the driving music and then with that whole back and forth about jazz at the diner oh, love it bop, bop, <laughs> bop, bop, so bop. like I could watch Andre Brower bop <laughs> like uh, that just on a loop it would be great <laughs> he was uh,
2: Ray Ray would make a CD at the end of every season of like the, the, a lot of the music that he loves which is all that seventies pop um, and rock and uh, he made the CD and he gave, he gave it out to the crew and everything and Andre took a look at and he looks on the back and he goes well we need some black people on here <laughs> <laughs> so Andre King, you know, that's where we we sort of got the idea. Maybe we should represent Owen's music tastes as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's, it's been uh, it was a really fun. Yeah, you know, I went through and and did a bunch of rewatching for this, and it really was fun to sort of just live in this uh, in this world of the show for the for the past week or so. It's been. A lot of fun and thank you mike so much for coming on simon any any final thoughts
1: uh no except as long as we're on the, the subject of music hair is probably my favorite musical ever so oh. i definitely geeked out over the whole flesh failures Let the sunshine in thing because that was awesome
2: thank you and that was a dream of rays to have that song up against the fight pretty much since we've started working on the show he's like we have to some find a way to do this and <laughs> just <laughs> those very specific dreams
0: And, and I guess the, the last thing I'll say is people should watch the show. There's, it it is surprising to me because every now and again, when we have guests on or people are going to come on, they look at the list of shows we've already done and, and they think, Oh, you guys have done all the, all you've done all the underseen shows. And there are so many out there. And this was a really big one for me. So I'm really glad that we were able to talk about it. And hopefully there, if we have listeners who haven't taken the time to to watch men of certain age, if, if, Anything we're saying it sounds interesting to you. If you like any of these lead performers, you will like this show. So I really Thank think you. people should, you know, and get, you can get the DVDs. They're readily accessible. Yeah.
2: It's unfortunately not on Netflix, but because uh, T- uh, Warner Brothers and Netflix hate each other with the fire of a thousand suns, but um, uh, it is um, it's, yeah, it's on Amazon. I believe it's on iTunes. It's on DVD. Uh, there's an actually a TNT app, which If it's not on there now, it will be on there very soon. Then you can actually stream it on that, and and it's free.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you, Mike, so much for coming on. Uh, I I, I guess if people want to follow you on Twitter,
2: you are. Oh, please. I'm at Mike Royce, M-I-K-E-R-O-Y-C-E.
0: And, of course, Enlisted has already started up by the time everyone is hearing this, but it's Fridays on Fox. Um, Thank you so much for coming on, Mike. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.